I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the head groundsman of the podcast, looking to change the landscape around Elland Road, and I'm joined by the tractor tearing up the Elland Road pitch of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. Nothing is left in his wake. And finally, the £300,000 Spurs turf of the podcast. More expensive than your carpet at home, it's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I've not not been on one of these for a while, so I've well, I've had the pleasure of listening to you all and hearing your views. But what it just means that everyone's been spared listening to mine, and my poor family have just been had to have me shout at them that my thoughts about what's going wrong with Leeds. <laughs> but luckily, I can that means I can steal your ideas and I can talk about the Pentagon Press, John, and they feel they get really impressed by it. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think it's it's fair to say as a statistical podcast, the the real stat that matters here is the fact that you now only come on these podcasts when we talk about Newcastle United, apparently. Pretty much, yeah. The last one you were on was a pre- Newcastle preview, and the, this one is a Newcastle preview. So uh, is, that, is that a sort of underlying tendency of your own are you, are you switching allegiances to a different united i get the really rubbish ones i get newcastle uh, um the newcastle matches i get to do the reviews after terrible losses <laughs> and i think i've done the fulham preview podcast twice as well <laughs> so basically I, I get all the stuff that no one else wants uh-huh. there we go tom woodhead how are you yeah not too bad uh, imagine genuinely switching allegiance to newcastle united like, from leeds <laughs> at, at this point in moment. history yeah. <laughs> i mean you could maybe see it when the keegan team were playing or something but uh, yeah not so much now <laughs> I used to live with a Newcastle fan, so I watched a lot of their matches last year, and I could safely say that I would never want to be a Newcastle fan after watching pretty much a year of Steve Bruce football, but we'll talk a lot about that later, I imagine. Well, yeah, it's been a real struggle for us to get people on to talk about Newcastle, to be honest, because I don't think many of their fans particularly want to talk about Newcastle. I mean, the very fact that Steve Bruce has come out in the last few weeks and said, right, gloves off, we're now going to do things my way, this is going to be a whole tactical shift, and it's still turgid, uh, I think says says it all about Newcastle. But at the risk of losing all of the Newcastle fans who have actually listened to this podcast, we should probably be a little bit nicer about them, but... Um, before we get on to Newcastle, the biggest news of the Leeds century, perhaps bigger even than the uh, than the promotion, 
um, at least in my mind, is the pit, what I'm calling the pitchening, which is um, yeah the relaying of the the, the turf at Elland Road, which um, I don't. It, I, I've I've just watched a video that someone's put on Twitter that is stolen from Facebook of of, of someone on the phone to a group <laughs> of people describing in detail what's going on and it turning out to be true. Um, but apparently, <laughs> according to this mysterious phone call. Um, Marcelo Bielsa was incensed at the state of the pitch. The team were incensed at the state of the pitch. Uh, Liam Cooper took Radrizzani onto the pitch after their most recent home game and, and said, "This is dangerous. There's going to be there's going to be injuries and, and bad injuries if we keep playing on this pitch." And Marcelo Bielsa has uttered the immortal phrase that if we don't do something about the pitch, we are going to get relegated because we're going to have to start playing long ball football. Now, I, I, I will admit <laughs> that at this point, I did start doubting the veracity of the of the source, but um, we have bought a pitch from Spurs, <laughs> which is funny, right? <laughs> Who knew that the, a transfer market existed for, <laughs> for grass? But it does. Um, and we have purchased a £300,000 pitch from Spurs um, that is just going to be rolled out over over the Elland Road. Well, they're going to dig up the Elland Road turf and then and re-turf this one. Um, how do we feel about how do we feel about this, Tom Tom Alderson? How do we feel about the the new pitch at Elland Road? Uh, this really made me laugh yesterday because it's just like everyone on Twitter and like everyone's like, oh, it needs five days to sew up and be like sort of compact work together. <laughs> and it's like, no, it needs thirteen days. We've got a home game in thirteen days. And I was like, does anyone actually know what they're talking about for one? There's a course you can go on, by the way, for about four hundred pounds if you want to find out what is actually going on but yeah it, it did need doing even if it's just a temporary fix till the end of the season because it was just getting beyond a joke and like and we're kind of like the government holding out for the vaccine we were just kind of holding out for the warmer months when the pitch wouldn't be as wet um and hoping that would fix it but yeah it, it just it did need doing and it, like you said it was kind of affecting us a little bit even even if it wasn't as much as a thought people made out it it was affecting just like the speed of the passing. I just I'm looking at other matches now, just jealous of their lovely, lovely grass. Did you just make an analogy there, comparing the Leeds United's treatment of their pitch to the British government's treatment of the coronavirus? I did, John. You've you've been waiting four weeks for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that the pitch is is way off where you would want it to be, and it, it you know. I wonder whether or not this goes back to. I remember last was it was it last season where we were constantly being like, why can't Leeds win at home? Um, I wonder whether even at that point the pitch was was impacting on the games because it does seem as though we we play a lot better when we're away from home because of because of the pitches. Tom Woodhead, what's what's your take? Do you think that do you think that there's any danger in relaying a pitch at this point in the season? I think we have to assume that any benefits would outweigh the risks, or they wouldn't be doing it. I I I, I love that phone call, whether it was real or not. I thought it was absolutely <laughs> gripping stuff, like the story of Bielsa saying, like a stroppy teenager going, "Right, I'll just play long ball then." Fuck you. Like it reminded me a bit of uh, when I was a kid. I used to play this game with my dad where we'd charge into each other with our arms held out, and and obviously I wanted to do it for ages, and he didn't want to do it for that long, so. When he, when he said he wouldn't do it anymore, I just said, fine, I'll run into that patch of nettles then. And, and I did it because I was a fucking idiot. Uh, so that, that's that's the equivalent I'd draw. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, and £300,000 is not a lot of money in the context of a Premier League football club. So um, it seemed weird that Radrizani seemed to be haggling according to that phone call so fastidiously over, you know, these tens of thousands of pounds. But I guess he wants to make himself feel important somehow. 
I guess it's a lot of money when you consider that it's going to be up for six months and yeah. then just torn straight out, out again. But yeah, three hundred thousand pounds in the grand scheme of things is is much much less money than the money that you lose out if you drop out of the Premier League. So I guess that's the way they'll. Yeah, I mean, if if we loaned a player for the rest of the season, that'd be six months. It costs a hell of a lot more than that. So. Yeah, the thing that I took away from it is that. If Bielsa is suggesting that there's a chance we might get relegated, that's just going to spook the fan base. <laughs> I don't know whether or not anyone um, anyone has got on that yet. I'm sure there's people on Twitter at, the, at this very moment saying, well, there we go. If Bielsa thinks that we can go down, then we can go down. So, uh, But I'm, I'm sure it's just a rhetorical turn of phrase, guys. Yeah. Don't worry too much about Bielsa <laughs> saying we might get relegated if we don't re-turf the pitch. I mean, you hear stories about him threatening to build, beat up like construction workers and stuff like that don't you so like it's not like he doesn't have form for these kind of like outrageous outbursts <laughs> with the grenades and stuff yeah 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 i was gonna say any other business but it's it's funny isn't it because this is probably the only transfer window in history where the biggest scandal has been the relaying of the pitch it's it's felt like a really quiet transfer window in many respects, and uh, I don't think anyone's expecting anything short of uh, any loan deals here and there for maybe some of the youngsters. Is anyone expecting anything other than that? We are we going to see anyone brought in in the next few days? I don't think so. I mean, they've been preparing the ground for this ever since last summer, haven't they? That they were going to try and get all their business done in the summer, and then not doing anything in January unless a really great opportunity came up. So, I mean, I, I still wouldn't completely rule it out, but it doesn't seem likely. I think if Click or someone like that got a season-ending injury, we might be. But I think it, I think it mm. only Click. I think everyone else, Bielsa, would probably be like, we can get on with it. Even, even Bamford, and I think he would be the second one. Melier, maybe, as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe Melier. <laughs> Although, no doubt, he would say that Kiko played quite well against Brighton. So, I'm sure we would just be lumped with him again. Yeah. Right, should we get on to... We can't delay the inevitable forever. Should we get to the Newcastle preview? <laughs> so this week I was lucky enough to talk to Thomas Millman, who works for Total Scouting and appears on the Anti-Football podcast. And this is what he had to say about Newcastle. So Thomas, hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I am, I'm wonderful. And I've just seen that you have a podcast named the Anti-Football Podcast, which I have a, a huge amount of respect for, um, which may be one of the most niche podcasts I think I've ever come across as a concept. You cover Newcastle and Spurs. Um, but maybe tell us a little bit about that. How did you end up talking about um, the Newcastle and Spurs and then naming the, the podcast the Anti-Football Podcast, obviously a reflection of the two managers who are at those respective clubs? Yeah, well, well, basically, uh, it's me and it's hosted by me and Luke Griffin, and uh, Luke Griffin is a is a Spurs fan, and then I'm I'm a big Newcastle fan, so we just thought, why not just sort of combine the two? It it, it really isn't. It's not a really a tried and tested uh, combination. <laughs> I agree, but uh, it's, we're we're enjoying doing it at the moment. Uh, with yeah, obviously the the name is to do with the the managers and the the perceived style of play of the two teams. Um, and it's it's a bit it's ironic because neither of us are too against playing defensive football and playing on the counter attack. We both think it's a reasonable way of playing football, but uh, it's because of the how it gets labelled a lot uh, in the media and by by other fans that uh, we thought it would be a good name. I'm suspecting though that you would prefer your brand of anti football to not in- include Steve Bruce. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, my my brand of anti football. <laughs> It doesn't doesn't stretch that far. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Well, let's get on to talking about Newcastle. Obviously, we've we played you recently, um, 
and um, obviously, if I mean, it was only a few weeks ago, and it feels in that as though in the time since Newcastle have really taken a turn for the worse. So, what do you think went wrong in the last few weeks for Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it was the start of a horrendous run for us since since the Leeds game was the first of a, a nine-game winless run in all competitions to date. Uh, and I don't think we scored a goal from open play in about over 14 hours of football now. Um, in, in those five of the nine games, we've played against Manchester City, Liverpool, Leicester and Arsenal twice. So we have had a, a few tough games. But I think just it's one of those things with every like loss and failure to, to, to gain points, just the morale of the team, you can just see it going down and you can just see the, the, the manager sort of desperately trying to sort of clutch at straws, basically, and, and get points. And then the, the loss to Sheffield United obviously was, was huge. Uh, and then obviously we got knocked out of the we got knocked out of the quarterfinal of the cup against Brentford despite putting a strong team out in the in the League Cup. And to be fair to him, we have had some injuries, so has every team, but uh, Alan St. Maximin and club captain Jamal Lascelles have both been missing for a couple of months now with long COVID, unfortunately. So he has had that problem as well. Uh, but yeah, at, at the moment, it seems as though Bruce is basically on his last legs at the club. What do you make of Bruce's distancing himself from the early season tactics to doing things his own way now? What do you make of that? Was he, is this is the sense that the club were, were sort of pushing him to play in a certain way and now he's just ignoring that? It sounded a lot like an excuse to me. Uh, it came from, like, the comments came, I think those comments came after the, the Sheffield United defeat and he was like, the gloves are off now and it's uh, going to do it my way and all of that. Um whether it's the club pushing him to play, like I don't think it is. I think it was. He previously talked about how uh, about Rafa Benitez's influence has made it difficult for him to influence his sort of style of play and implement it, um, which I'm still unsure about what that actually is. Uh, but realistically, I think he's just been undoing all the uh, the good work that Benitez did of having a solid defensive structure and being able to catch teams on the counter-attack because now we seem to score less and concede more. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really... It'll be interesting to see how long he gets to to prove this sort of new style because, obviously, the first game that he's had with that style was, was Arsenal away, which was always going to be a, a tricky game. And then, it was, as we record this, Newcastle have got Aston Villa in the league this weekend and then Leeds... In, in the in the week afterwards. Well, let's talk about how that's changed things tactically. What difference do you think that this new style has has made on the team? Um, <laughs> it, it is tricky to judge because he only has he, he's had one game since those comments, and it was against Arsenal. Um, against Arsenal, he lined up in a sort of quite traditional sort of four four two with sort of little man, big man sort of strike partnership with the Andy Carroll and Callum Wilson up front. But style wise. Nothing seemed to have changed a lot. Uh, we still only had one shot on target in the entire match. We had 33% possession, which is fairly like standard for what, what we've done so far this season. Um, and I thought his, his selection, he sort of threw Matty Longstaff and John Joe Shelby together against Arsenal, which was in an, in an effort to provide a bit of creativity from midfield, but it, it didn't work at all, really. Uh, neither. We both looked very short of confidence and it didn't really have any balance to it because of neither of them being particularly defensive-minded players. Do you think we'll see a similar approach against Leeds then? Yeah, I, th- I think I think he kind of he's forced himself now by saying all of those comments about he's going to do it his way into playing a certain style of football and trying to be a bit more attacking and a bit more on the front foot. 
Um, when I say a bit more, I mean, we were the complete antithesis of <laughs> anything attacking beforehand. Um, but yeah, I, I think he might have a bit of a fear after conceding five to Leeds last time. I think he may 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 worry about being caught out on the counter-attack, especially if the game comes stre- became becomes stretched. Um, but I thought uh, Joe Linton did a decent job of keeping Calvin Phillips um, fairly quiet last time out. And it wasn't from him that Leeds were able to sort of create. But I think, yeah, as I say, I think he has to roll the dice a bit, uh, Bruce, and, and he needs a result or a run of results fairly, fairly desperately if he wants to keep his job for much longer. And if Newcastle want to stay in the Premier League and not be very, very were dragged very far into a relegation battle. You've mentioned the last game between the two sides, obviously that 5-2 win um, at Elland Road. What do you make? What did you make of the last game between the two? From from a Newcastle perspective, it was we we came. It was a solid start. We played defensively, which was never a surprise, um, and we scored a decent goal on on the counter attack with, with our basically our first attack of the game with uh, Hendrik getting in at the back post. I think Leeds, a lot of Leeds goals were were really quality in that game. Uh, unfortunately for us, I mean they came from you could argue poor defending, but at the same time that. The, the goal, the second goal for Leeds that gave you the lead from, uh, I think it was a Rodrigo diving header from the edge of the box, which was very impressive. And then, but then I think as the game became a bit more stretched, it, it suited Leeds a lot because of the, the high intensity and sort of energy within sort of your your squad and, and lineup. And it, it did really, it really suited you. And then on the counter-attack, the two final goals when we had to push, when we went 3-2 down, uh, they were both that, that obviously the Harrison goal is you can't do a lot about that really, but I think it was interesting after that game. Uh, it was the, the defending was openly criticised by Kieran Clark who had played in that game, uh, and he called it. He basically said it was schoolboy defending and schoolboy errors, uh, and it, arguably that that's true. Uh, one area that I did think Newcastle looked a bit sort of stronger in and that Leeds have struggled in this season was set pieces um, to get the equaliser with Kieran Clark from a, from a corner. It felt as though we, we might get something out of the game, but then in the end, I, I guess it just wasn't to be. And on the on the day, the better team won. I can't, can't argue. How do you think that things will be different this time around? Do you think there's going to be anything that Bruce does to try and exploit any perceived weaknesses in Leeds' style? As mentioned, I think it'll be, I think he'll go with a 4-4-2 again, probably. Um, we should look to exploit Leeds' weaknesses in, in the air, I think, is probably what he's likely to try and do. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Andy Carroll come on um, or, or feature in, in some way. I wouldn't be surprised to see Andy Carroll feature. Uh, I was screaming at the TV for, for him to come on last time Leeds played Newcastle, especially because of when Kieran Clark scored from a set piece, it made it really... Uh, it, it looked as though, why, why wouldn't you bring on Andy Carroll? when you've got such an aerial presence on the bench. Um, I think uh, Almiron might feature due to, due to the energy that he provides. He, he didn't play and he didn't start the last game against against Leeds. Um, and I think Ryan Fraser is coming back from suspension and he created both goals uh, last time Leeds played against Newcastle a, a few weeks ago. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh involved but in terms of style i can't see it changing too much to be honest with you it we, we obviously it's difficult to judge but I, I i can't really see us venturing too far from the the tried and tested almost the last time that we played 
you were struggling with coronavirus um, infections in the club. How are you looking injury-wise at this point um, for the, the game coming up on Tuesday? Yeah, last time we played, it was sort of like the, the, the beginning of a, a really tough period injury-wise and, and COVID-wise with the club. Uh, but I think we're starting to see the signs of recovery. Uh, Jamal Lascelles played his first full 90 minutes since contracting long COVID um, against Arsenal, uh, which I'm not a big, huge fan of him as a defender individually, but he is the club captain. And obviously it's, it's nice to have another central defender uh, available. There's been talk of St. Maximin returning to training recently. So depending on how he is able to recover because apparently the big thing about it is fatigue um, and if he's able to, to, to play or feature at all he would be a massive boost to, to, to the team uh, because of the attacking threat that he provides uh, Jamal Lewis came back from injury against Arsenal as well Mankio has started to return to the squad so it's really looking a bit up in terms of injuries which is and uh, absences which is uh, absentees which is really a, a benefit to the squad Um Federica Fernandez uh, is a possibility to be out, and I think he's really one of the only ones that is, is likely to be out injured. Um, obviously, it's a bit tricky because we have Aston Villa between now and the Leeds game, and injuries could occur during that. So, how will you line up on Tuesday then? Due to the lots of um, returning players from from injury and COVID, it, it could be a bit tricky to predict. If I was put on the spot and forced to pick an eleven, that Bruce probably will pick. I think it'll be Carl Darlow in goal, um, back four of DeAndre Yedlin, Jamal Lascelles, Kieran Clark, and Jamal Lewis. Um, a midfield four of Ryan Fraser, Isaac Hayden, John Shelby, and Miguel Almiron. And then I think he'll probably play Callum Wilson and Andy Carroll as, as a strike partnership. But then, as I said, there are a few players who could easily start or be. Uh, in in that starting lineup, so I think Joe Linton, St. Maximin, even Dubravka instead of Darlow in goal, because now we've got a lot of competition there. And then Javier Manquillo or either of the Longstaff brothers. Really, uh, I realise that's not me being particularly decisive, but it's very difficult because we have changed uh, teams and selection a lot uh, recently. This is a question that I ask all of the people who come on this podcast. But which players do you think need to perform well if you're to beat Leeds on Tuesday? The central defenders, whoever whoever's picked, I think I think it'll probably be Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark uh, need to, need to perform well um, in order to, to sort of keep Bamford as quiet as possible and sort of cope with the movement and the, the high energy of, of Leeds. Um, I think going the other way, the, the the wingers need to provide a lot of creativity. I'd like to see if Almiron, whether it's Almiron, Saint Maximin, or Fraser, uh, all of or maybe Murphy. One of those four has to really take the initiative and, and catch and try and play on the counter-attack, which is likely how we're going to play because we I don't think we've ever had more of the ball than the opposition. Um, and then finally, I think Callum Wilson uh, needs a goal desperately. He's, he's Even when he's not scoring, he's been an, a very influential part of the team and has possibly been our best player throughout this, this period. But he's been starved of chances for for a very long time now, um, and I think it's it's key that he can if he could get on the score sheet, it would be it would be huge for Newcastle. And I guess balancing off the players that need to perform well to beat Leeds, which players for Leeds worry you in in the game on Tuesday? I think Rafinha is a top quality player, and I think he's a very good signing. Um, I watched him at Wren 
before Leeds signed him, uh, I, I knew a bit about him and I, know, I knew what he could bring. And I think he's adapted well to the Premier League and to, to Leeds' style. And I think he could really hurt us uh, on the on the counter-attack. And I think he looked dangerous in the last time the two teams played as well. Um, Rodrigo, I think, could cause us a lot of problems with, with his movement uh, and ability to sort of join the attack or then just drop into midfield um, and then obviously Bamford as well would be my would, they're fairly obvious picks but they are the ones that can really hurt us uh, because he's just so like alert in the box basically So one thing that I never do on this podcast is ask for predictions you're welcome to give one if you want but what I'm more interested in is how you think the game will go how do you think the ebb and flow of the game will, will transpire on Tuesday I think it'll be Leeds primarily on the on the front foot uh, unsurprisingly uh, and I think it'll be Newcastle looking to sit back and, and play on the counter-attack and then hope uh, if I was a Newcastle manager if I was involved I would be looking to exploit set pieces and get the ball into the likes of Andy Carroll and, and Callum Wilson and, and cause problems what we haven't done is when those two have played up front we haven't provided enough crosses or uh, done enough to create chances for the both of them uh, which is something that we need to do in terms of the, the game, I think Leeds will probably have have enough quality and ability. I, I don't like to predict against Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> because I have this ingrained loyalty, but it is a huge game for, for Newcastle and Bruce. I, I think it'll either be, if I was going to make a prediction, I, w- I would say it's either going to be a, a draw, like a one-all, or maybe a, a Leeds will nick a, a 2-1 win. Well, Thomas, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. What's the best way for our listeners to find out what you're putting out football content-wise? Well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. Um, uh, I'm involved with two sort of projects football-wise at the moment. There's, there's the Anti-Football Podcast, as, as we talked about, which you can get on, find us on Twitter at, at underscore anti-football underscore, where we discuss everything, Newcastle United and, and Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and then another one is, is Target Scouting, which is where we... it's basically a platform where we provide articles and reports on, on young players from around the world, which is uh, at target scouting underscore on Twitter as well. Uh, so yeah, either of those would be, or, or you can follow me on Twitter if you fancy, but I don't really <laughs> tweet a lot uh, I, at Thomas underscore Melman. But um, yeah, that, that's it really. And thank you very much for having me. Yeah. And thanks so much for coming on. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So that was Thomas Millman, Total Scouting and Anti-Football Podcast host. Guys, what sort of questions did this raise in your mind? The main thing that I always think about 
this is that people always criticise Steve Bruce's style of football, and rightly so, it's pretty turgid. Um, but uh, the Newcastle fans absolutely adored Rafa Benitez, and they ab- they pretty much hate Steve Bruce, but they're both very defensive managers, so I, I'm, I'm quite interested in why one of them is hated and one of them is adored, despite the fact that they are ostensibly playing relatively similar football. Um, and I, I, I think the reason is is just that Benitez always sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's got an actual plan um, and he's implementing that plan. And it's really not a lot to ask, is it? And I think that you can you can get to the heart of why Newcastle fans are so depressed about their situation when you when you see how little of a plan Bruce actually seems to have. Uh, you know, we we had a uh, was it JP Quinn on the last podcast who sounded like he wanted to top himself. Now we've got the next Spinal Tap drummer uh, along the production line, and uh, yeah, I just it must be an awful thing to be a Newcastle fan and just have Bruce coming out and saying this stuff like uh, as you're saying, you know, the the gloves are off and uh, we're gonna uh, we're, now we're gonna do things my way. It's like what have you been doing the rest of the time? Like, is this not your way? <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any situation, right, where Benitez was potentially going down. I know that he came in and they were in a relegation battle and they stayed up that season, right? Uh, but apart from that, they were fairly set, weren't they? Whereas with Steve Bruce, I think this season, it just looks as though they're definitely going to be in a relegation battle in some way or another because they're only a couple of results away from that. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a fascinating one. But I, I, I tend to agree with you in terms of, you know, Rafa Benitez was a good defensive manager. Steve Bruce, I think, is thought of as being a defensive manager because he's not an attacking manager. <laughs> and so I think you just default think that people are d- defensive when they're just not very good at creating a- attacks. So. It's kind of easy to sort of back Rafa Benitez. Obviously, like Rafa Benitez is like Champions League winner, whereas like Steve Bruce, you just think of this sort of like anti-football. And I think, I think uh, you said it, Tom, that Rafa seemed to have a pretty clear idea what he wanted to do whereas like Steve Bruce I was looking through the formations they played in the matches to try and work out what formation would Leeds would play and there was about I've got five formations written down so I'd like to thank Tom Millman for clearing that up because I just don't think Steve just changed Steve Bruce just changed his mind like it seems to be every week like he's played 5-4-1 so yeah it's just he just doesn't seem. To, he just seems to change his mind week on week, and I think the, the lack of a clear idea is why he's kind of thought of less than Benitez. What about you? What was the question that this raised in in your mind? The the interview. Yeah, so I was like, he he said it was Bruce has said he wants to move to a four four two, which we we uh, first saw against Arsenal on Monday to be the way he wants to play. But after watching that game, I still don't really know what the Steve Bruce way of football is. If it's like, <laughs> if it's trying to be more attacking, well, they only had like one shot on target and thirty three percent possession. So I don't know. It's it's like like with response to Tom's question, it just I don't really get what Bruce is trying to do um, with with this Newcastle side. I'm actually quite interested in this, and in that it doesn't really feel as though there's been that much of a tactical shift, short of bringing Andy Carroll on and <laughs> and shifting Joe Linton out wide. Whether or not that. <laughs> counts as a tactical shift I'm not entirely sure I suppose Steve Bruce could be the sort of manager who thinks making substitutions is tactics but here we are the big question for me I suppose is whether or not they're just going to go a little bit more direct perhaps if they're playing in the 4-4-2 and what, what he means by that is that you know just going to sort of they've, as as Tom said in the in the interview 
I've just realised we've got Tom Woodhead on, Tom Alderson on, <laughs> and the guy who gave the interview is called Thomas as well. So here we are. In the interview, Thomas suggested that Newcastle are now going to go with this sort of big man, little man, strike cock partnership and just really go back to like proper 90s Premier League football. And I, I guess I'm, I'm interested in to, to hear what, what how you think that's sort of going to go with with a Bielsa team. Surely that's just playing into our hands because I my my thoughts regarding what happens when they move to this four four two is that we go to a three three one three, a formation which was basically designed to break up the four four two of the nineties. So surely this is just going to play into our hands, isn't it? You'd think so. From what I can gather, the the four four two was more from um, from watching the game that they played against Arsenal on Monday was just. They they got a lot of people into the box, but it was basically just everyone get in the box, put the ball in, and we'll we'll see what happens. And I, I think that that style will probably suit us. And like we haven't looked as good in the three three one three, but I think we're comfortable enough to it that we should be able to deal with whatever Newcastle can throw at us. In terms of the the structure, then let's talk about the three three one three. Now seems uh, no better time than the the present to talk about it. Three three one three. We've been on record as saying that. Leeds have struggled playing the three-three-one-three this season, um, largely because when we've played, it, we've been playing against teams like Burnley and Palace, both of whom have have pressed us quite high, have pressed us in wide areas, and and broken down our build-up play a, a little bit. How do we feel about playing the three-three-one-three against Newcastle, a team who probably aren't going to have any sort of structured pressing against us? Is this going to be a nice? return to the three three one three of last season where we're just going to be given space to exploit and uh, it should go quite nicely for us Tom Woodhead yeah I mean I, I think it depends partially on um, who plays in the back three and who plays in midfield but I think yeah potentially it could be good for us I mean on on, on Andy Carroll uh, I think he's quite a fascinating player really like he's certainly a very unique player or he was when he was at his best, you know, when he was in sort of his, his early to mid twenties. Um, he, he was a genuinely interesting and unique player, I think in the league, but he's, he's been broken so many times and patched back together and stuck together with glue. I'm absolutely amazed that he's able to start a game. And I, I would be surprised actually if he, because Newcastle have got another game before they play us, haven't they? Um, I think they've got a game at the weekend, then they're playing on Tuesday. So Villa, Carroll, someone like Carroll, I doubt he's not going to be able to play two games in such quick succession, is he? Yeah. On the three-three-one-three, I think I'm a bit less down on it um, this season than some of the other contributors to the podcast. But admittedly, you've probably looked at the evidence a lot more closely and, uh, and critically than I have. Um, I, I tend to like it because it means we quite often get to see Ailing at right centre-back, which I'm always a big fan of. Um, but whether that will happen now with all the injuries is is another matter. How about you, Tom Alderson? How are you feeling about the three-three-one-three structure? I'm pretty happy with it in this game. I think, like you said, I don't think Newcastle are going to press us. So I think that will suit, especially Dallas and Alioski, who will probably continue it in the full-back positions. So, and this sort of game, like the last Newcastle game, will suit them. Um and Newcastle, yeah, they won't. I don't think they're going to press us. And they seem to be on Monday. They seem to sort of press high, but not press. So it was a really weird combination where they were just open. They had loads of space, and they were open to be countered. Which so on paper, this should really suit us. Yeah, and I, I think it would. I don't know whether or not it's whether or not there's some benefit from actually having a good performance in the three three one three. I don't know, um, but it's it's been so poor this season that it would be nice to know that we can play it um, as and when. But again, as I said, it comes down to that 
you know being pressed in in wide areas and not having the wing backs really to be able to make the most of, of build up in those areas so um let's just talk a little bit about how we feel about starting to play teams for a second time because it's something that i've talked about quite a bit on the podcast um and maybe maybe I bang on about it too much, but I am interested to see what the second half of the season looks like compared to the first half of the season. I'm interested to see what happens when we start playing teams a second time around, whether or not they do learn from some of the mistakes that they made in the um, in the first game of the two. And look, we know that clubs now universally will have analysts who will be looking at Leeds' game before they play. They should be able to be picking up on these weaknesses beforehand. But I'm always interested to see whether or not actually playing a team makes a manager more aware of the, what the the dangers of playing against Leeds are. So um, in terms of the second half of the season and playing Newcastle again so soon after we played them, are we anticipating that Newcastle will be doing anything fundamentally different when they approach us? Um to try and stymie some of the things that we did so well against them last time, Tom Alderson? It's a difficult one because when they played four four one one last time and we we it suited us to play against that, so that's why I thought they might go to the five five four one. Um because I think that would probably cause a bit more problems. But if he's gonna stick with his four four two then there isn't really that much he can do differently. And I don't think there's a sort of magical switch that they can switch um they can switch that um that means they can press us high um sort of in in when we're building up through the full backs which we saw against Brighton so i think even if they tried tried if newcastle specifically tried to change anything i don't see it working in terms of the second half of the season generally it is worrying because what obviously like with being pressed in that fullback area does cause us problems and you think the more tactically astute managers like sort of Graham Potter who can pick up on this will cause us pro- um, problems and I, I'm glad we've got a lot of points on the board now because I do think we'll probably struggle to get as many points on the board in the second half of the season. How about you Tom Woodhead how are you feeling about the second half of the season? Yeah um, I, I think it's a really interesting question and unfortunately probably the least interesting team in the league to have it about <laughs> um, because I don't think Bruce I don't think his mind particularly works that way in that sort of analytical way where he'll make changes, logical changes based on the uh, on the previous game. But I, I do think this has to be sort of divided to an extent into two categories for me as well. Like how will the teams that we beat previously adjust? And But also I think what will the effect be on the teams that beat us last time? Will they possibly take it a, a tiny bit less seriously or uh, be... A bit less up for it, and uh, and and will that work rate drop a little bit? Because I think no matter what, we've we've seen that the opposition does have to work extremely hard to beat us, even if even if they, uh, you know, even if they completely school us like Manchester United did, they did have to work really hard. And you constantly see these statistics coming out that um, the opposition team against Leeds run usually has their highest running performance of any game that they've had, and you know you, you've discussed it quite a lot on the pod. Um, how uh, it, how we could struggle against teams that we've previously beaten. But I do wonder if against teams that beaten us, as I said, maybe we'll have a little bit more joy in certain areas that we didn't before. I think that's, that's certainly interesting. I think there will be teams like, for example, Manchester United, no doubt, will not be too worried about the second game against us, um, which may well be warranted um, given the first game, but um, there's certainly the, there's certainly the um, scope for a 
for things to change around a little bit, I think, in, in that respect. Um, let's, talk, let's start talking about personnel then. So assuming that we're playing the 3-3-1-3, um, how, do we, how do we start filling out the, the, the team? So in terms of the back three, Tom Woodhead, how would you go about this? I think it's a really interesting one. Like, I think there's a lot more doubt about this lineup than there has been for most games this season. Because um, you have, I think you have probably three basic options for the back three. Um, you could either have Cooper um, and Phillips dropping into the back three and Ailing on the right, or you could have Cooper, Ailing, and one of. Um, uh, strike or Lorente, probably strike more likely, I would say. Um, or you could have Ailing in the middle of the back three and possibly even strike on the right as Bielsa was doing towards the end of the Brighton game. So, um, and, and I think paradoxically, I think what decides the back three is the midfield. So if Bielsa decides he wants to play Rodrigo, I don't think he's going to drop click. So if we play Rodrigo, it'll be Rodrigo and click and that means Phillips dropping in. Um, if if we and although Phillips hasn't always played great at centre back, I actually thought he was very good against Burnley at centre back. Um, I thought I thought his uh, last ditch blocking and stuff was spot on in that game. Um, but if if he doesn't play Rodrigo, then that obviously opens us up to playing, which I think would be my choice. I would probably play a midfield of uh, Phillips and Click, and then a back three of Strike, Cooper, and Ailing. And then the question, I guess, would be who would we play as wing backs in this system? And I think that a lot of this comes down to whether or not you, I mean, we, we, we essentially almost play as with a double pivot when we play the three, three, one, three, right way. We, we have that inverted wing back who um, has been um, Adam Forshaw in the past, has been Stuart Dallas in the past. Um, is the assumption that assumption that we will just play Dallas there and then have Alioski on uh, out, out left Tom Alderson? I, I agree with Tom, I think with the, the back three and um, I would play click. So I think, yeah, for, for me, Alioski and Dallas um, would play at fullback, and I think this isn't the, the game where we're going to see them struggle. So I wouldn't have any worries about playing them in this game. Maybe, maybe in sort of late, if we want to play this formation against a team that oppresses, then you might see Ailing or Shackleton out at right wing back, and then Dallas at um, left wing back, which is probably his preferred position because then he can, and it gives him more space to drift into midfield, which I think suits him better. And then I guess outside of that, we're just we're talking Jack Harrison, Rafinha, and Pat Bamford ahead of Click, I suppose. Um, how do you think the team would will do if they play in this formation, just not having R- Rodrigo there? Because um, it's certainly been the case that he's not been uh, on form recently. Do you think this will be a real telltale sign of whether or not if we play well? That, that he is holding the team back or do you think it's simply the case that we're playing Newcastle so we shouldn't read too much into it? I wouldn't read too much into it personally. Um, I, I don't know. And I, I think Rodrigo, he'd still be a very like viable option to come on like, you know, at half time or early in the game, even if we did start this way. And I, I do think that uh, regarding the Dallas and Dalioski, uh, the wing back thing, um, I think if Lorente was fully fit, and you know he'd had a few games under his belt, then it becomes more of a viable discussion. Do you put Ailing back to right wing back and possibly play Urente? Or obviously, if Robin Cock is fit, you you know you have that option as well. But I think with the state of the injuries, I think Dallas and Alioski at wing back is like the overwhelmingly likely thing to happen. I suppose the only other question to sort of raise in terms of 
uh, in terms of structure is what if what if they do come out with a four a five four one or something or a back a back three um how would that change things up for us what would we i guess uh, i guess would we would we be expected to play a four four two or a three five I'm just trying to think through, <laughs> through the structure here. Yeah, um, I, I guess it would mean we would play a back four. Um, I, I suppose a, a, maybe a, and then a front two. So probably four four two. We would play. How, how do we feel about that? Because then you sort of raising all of those questions about right. Do we play Rodrigo then as the as the second striker, and then have all of those issues with our pressing from the front? I suppose that would be the argument for playing Phillips in the back three, though, right? Like then you can easily make that change, and it doesn't really weaken the team. Um, in fact, it possibly makes the team stronger. So uh, maybe Bielsa will be thinking what the likelihood of that will be and he might base his team selection partly on that. So you mean that you then can shift the formation quite comfortably without yeah. having to make substitutions? Yeah. yeah. That's 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 interesting. I think it depends on the if they did come out 5-4-1 or any sort of combination of that. It depends on the people they put out. So like Ryan Fraser, if he played, he would maybe be sort of as similar like a, a second striker almost. But if they they had uh, Joel Linton and Almiron playing there on Monday, so that then that was like a they were playing a free up front with wing backs. So it's I think it'll depend on who who's playing for them that'll alter the formation. And just it's too complicated for me to work out in my head. But there's just so many combinations. If they did move to that back five, that um, yeah, it's just it's just it depends on. I think I think Fraser Fraser's was suspended though. Is I think he's back now. Um, I think. Yeah, he's back. I think he was suspended for a red card, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so he will be back, and it's probably. I think he he was he responsible for both of their goals. I'm pretty sure that he was involved in that first goal. I think he made the run down the side and then played the ball. But I do think Ryan Fraser will be playing, and I think he was quite important for the goals that they scored against us last time and he definitely set one of them up so um, I think he's probably the player that I'd be most worried about in that vein let's talk about that who are we most worried about on the Newcastle side Um, maybe above Fraser everyone knows the dangers of of Ryan Fraser he's quite pacey quite tricky um, and if he can get in behind our fullbacks or wingbacks he could cause us problems but is there anyone else that we're worried about well, I think Callum Wilson's a very good penalty box striker, isn't he? He knows yeah. where the space is, and I think he showed that for his goal against us. Um, uh, apart from that, I mean, they've not got a particularly inspiring squad, have they? I, it's funny that the uh, the Newcastle fa- uh, Tom was um, quite down on the cells because I've I'm, I must admit I've not watched a great deal of Newcastle. But when I when I watched them a few years ago, I was quite impressed with Lascelles. So I don't know if it's it's that he's not really developed or he just was never actually that good. And I mistakenly thought he was, but I always thought he was a decent decent Premier League centre back. I guess it's hard to be a decent Premier League centre back when you're <laughs> yeah. playing for a Steve Bruce side. What about you, Tom? We've got to worry about set pieces a little bit. Even if I don't, know, I'm not convinced that Newcastle were that are that good at them. Even if they did score one against us last time. So I think Andy Andy Carroll. We just we do have to. He's just a lump, isn't he? But we're not very good against lumps. Um, <laughs> and then Kieran Clark. I think did, I think Clark scored last time from the corner. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, I think just set pieces generally more than I can't than the ind- individuals. I think that's what worries me. So who needs to play well for Leeds if we're to cause 
Newcastle problems. I mean, I think we're going to cause Newcastle problems because of the system, no doubt, and uh, that will probably be the answer that is given. But um, is there anyone in particular for Leeds who we're looking for a good performance from? Maybe maybe Matthias Click having a, a decent um, performance in a midfield, which is not too hard to find space and create chances in. Um, is there is there any anyone that we would like to add to that? I think Jack Harrison. It's the way the game last time that he obviously he got the two. Well, he got a goal and the great assist. But I don't think he played that well. This, but I think this game will suit him just because of the space he'll be given. Um, and then I think going back to the female set of pieces, I think Melier just to sort of do what he's been doing and just um, attack, attacking the ball and keeping it away from their players. Um, if we're, so, hopefully we can not concede from set pieces then. I think I've convinced myself that Phillips is going to play in the back three now. So I, <laughs> I'm going to say Rodrigo because I think he will start. Um, it would be nice to see uh, a little bit more of what he can do when he is given that space. Um, but also, um, I I just want to see him really being diligent defensively when he needs to be as well because I, th- I think it's it's not a lack of effort, but you just so often see him trundling back a little you know four or five yards behind his man when he's gone a bit too far forward and we've talked about it a lot on the pod or certainly you guys have who've been on recently just him and click just need to be a bit more intelligent about when one of them goes forward the other one needs to drop in and vice versa so I hope you know we've had quite a long time since we will have had quite a long time since the Brighton game so hopefully this is the kind of thing that they've been working on in training. Yeah, and something that I showed up in the video analysis actually was just how Click and Rodrigo just didn't really seem to be clicking in the um, in the Brighton game, and it made a big difference when Tyler Roberts came on, just in terms of ball progression and and um, transitioning into into different phases of play. Um, hopefully, that was something that they've picked up on as well. I'm sure they will have picked up on it, um, but it'll be something they've been working on in this in this sort of mini break that they've had, um, just trying to get those two. Perhaps being, I think, a little bit more efficient. I think, I think, is maybe the issue with with them. It feels as though both Click and and um, Rodrigo aren't particularly dribbly players, um, and it feels as though they just try and do a lot of this intricate intricate passing between themselves and it feels as though we sometimes lose a bit of our attacking edge through them. So it'd be nice to see if if those two are playing. It would be nice to see a little bit more bludgeoning efficiency um not which isn't to say i want them to just sort of um uh, sort of ditch that creative side but it's it sometimes feels as though you can be creative and detrimental and it, uh, you know there needs to be a level of ruthlessness in the premier league in particular where you have to just say this is there's an opening here there's space there there's an option here we just have to take it and you just don't think about it. You just go on and you hammer away at those weaknesses and, and things come from it. Other teams do that against us and it doesn't feel like we do that enough against them. So it'd be nice to see that sort of thing happening for us for a change. There's a mate of mine who's convinced that Click has got a backheel bonus in his contract. Like, <laughs> he just, and he gets really, really irate whenever Click does a backheel. He does seem to be doing quite a few this season. But I agree. I, th- I think they're trying a bit hard at times and when sometimes the simple balls on and they're not playing it I think they're trying to do a bit too much at times one question I did want to ask the two of you before we move on to the sort of prediction side of things is if you were a manager playing against Leeds how would you set up against Leeds to to get the best result what how would you because it's something I'm really interested in whether or not managers go through that thought process because I think Leeds are a very because Leeds are such a logical side um, there's so much reasoning behind what they do and we've seen you know Scotty Parker say leads are, are scripted and there's a sense to which that's true um, do you think that, that in the second half of the season we've we've talked a little bit already about how 
um, the second half of the season might pan out. But do you think we'll start seeing managers just adopting the same sorts of tactics that teams that have beaten Leeds and, and done quite well? And I know it's not quite so easy as to do that. You can't just change the way that your team plays. But there are there's certainly like a blueprint that within which system you're playing, you can adapt your system to, to make things hard for Leeds. So how would you um, play against Leeds, Tom Woodhead, if you were a manager? What would you be getting them to do, the, the team to do? I would definitely play a back three. Um, because I think the thing that kills us the most is when one of our midfielders has to go and press one of their central defenders and that can open up so much space. Uh, if there is a fundamental flaw in Bielsa's system and methods, and far be it for me to suggest that there is, but that would be it, I think. like um, th- That's when we look most vulnerable, I think, when, when whoever it is, if, whether it's Rodrigo or Click or it's been Pablo at times, um, goes up to press one of the centre-backs, then... You know, especially if the opposition has good ball carrying centre backs like Brighton did, um, it can call it can just make the entire thing fall apart. So, I'd do that, and then I'd probably play a, a four three three a three four three, um, which which you know we we talked about loads on here about how we struggle against that formation because it's so easy to press out presses wide with all those players. So, I'd play that way, and I would just make sure that whenever Leeds lose the ball. Um, we're always looking for a run basically like um i say we i don't know who we are but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm possibly getting a bit too invested in this <laughs> um, you've now invented a new football club right <laughs> yeah so so just um it's it's about intelligently pressing in the at the right times not all the time but when you do press make sure it's intense and make sure uh it gets players in uncomfortable situations because i think if you put put us in uncomfortable situations it can be very difficult Tom Alderson how about you anything to add to that no I agree with what Tom said and I think I don't know teams that can sort of either hit us on the counter-attack or do what Brighton did and sort of just put us under pressure when we pass out from the back and we don't we haven't even teams that sort of do well against us even if they plan the counter-attack there doesn't seem to be like they don't need to be the fastest players in the world for it to work all the time so yeah I think that I've got mainly I agree with like yeah three four three presses presses wide and then any of that stuff on top will probably cause us a lot of problems so in terms of the game on tuesday how do we think it's going to pan out tom woodhead i i hope we'll get lots of space early on yeah just try and avoid some of the sloppy balls that we've been doing you know get out on that that hallowed artificial um <laughs> real turf hybrid of uh, st james's park and play some real passing football now we're free, freed from the quagmire of elland road um yeah, just I, I'm 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 hoping that we'll just get a lot of space, which is not something that's been the case for our last few games. So it, it would be nice to see the players expressing themselves a bit more freely. How about you, Tom Alderson? Yeah, I, f- I think it should be pretty comfortable. Um, I don't really have any, it, especially if they stick with this four four two. I don't really have any worries, and I think we just it's it's quite we sort of have to play our natural game just to win this. There doesn't have to be any sort of special tactics that we're going to have to do. So, uh, for me, I think we'll win quite comfortably. Good stuff. Well, there you have it. That's the All Stats, aren't we? Preview for the Newcastle game, which is on Tuesday. If that's too far away for you to wait, then you're in with some good luck because we have a Patreon channel where we have bonus material that isn't available freely to the average punter. You can sign up over there and get uh, bonus podcasts, bonus video analysis. I put up a video analysis of the Brighton game, which is quite a fun game to analyse. So if that sounds interesting to you, then head over to there and check it out. That's www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And with that, we arrive at the end of the podcast. So all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And we'll see you on the other side.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 